A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hello, movie truthers. Welcome to this week's episode of Truth and Movies. I'm Leila Latif. I'm Hannah Strong. And I'm Ella Kemp. On the show this week, Ariasta returns and Bo is afraid. Judy Bloom's coming of age classic is adapted to the big screen in Are You There God? It's Me, Margaret. And we'll be talking to Benny Safty. And on Film Club, more existential nightmares abound in defending your life. All coming up on Truth and Movies, a Little White Lies podcast. So, Hannah, you're looking remarkably well for a person that I assume is deep into the next issue of Little White Lies, number 99. <laughs> yeah, 99, yeah. Um, uh, it's funny recording this now because when listeners will be listening to this, I will be in the south of France and presumably a lot more stressed than I am right now because we will be right on deadline because in a, in a wonderful feat of planning, we have the magazine deadline in the middle of Cannes. So we'll be running around trying to finish the magazine whilst also trying to see films and file copy. But at the moment, yeah, it's, it's ticking along. I've seen some of the illustrations, which are amazing. And I think everyone's going to love the issue. The, the film it is around is uh, incredible, really, really good. So yeah, very excited for everyone to see that, but more excited to kind of get through the next few weeks. Well, you know, fair enough. We've never let us down in the past, so I'm sure you guys are going to pull it off, <laughs> even though that sounds like a actual nightmare. But also, <laughs> Ella, how are you? Good to have you back. Hello. Thanks for having me. Nice to be here. I am well. I will also be in Cannes next week with Hannah. You know, when you reach that point of being stressed where you kind of just like, you end up being like surprisingly calm for some reason. So if, if anyone sees me over the next week and just thinks I seem very mellow, good. I'm trying. <laughs> That's what I'm going for this year. <laughs> We've got a, um, a very interesting week. I mean, like I kind of always do spuriously try and connect all three films even when they have absolutely nothing in common but yeah this is uh this is a very outwardly jewish week that we've got here so we, we are very pleased to have jew in residence <laughs> like, um, with yeah, us famously. to make sure <laughs> this is this is my title in the uk film industry it is a resident jew is um what's on all my business cards everywhere so um thanks everyone thanks for having me I don't hope, hope hope I can do us proud. <laughs> I'm sure you will. You know, it is one of those things where I mean, particularly when you know we're deciding who comes in this podcast. Ella, obviously, you're someone that can kind of talk on any subject, but it is nice to have someone that has a bit more of a cultural connection 
to the subjects. And, you know, I guess when it comes to things like this, there's this constant debate of like, is it okay even for non-Jewish actors to take on Jewish roles? Because we, we've got kind of a bit of a mix here. Yeah, it, it's funny because I, I always see these debates for groups that I don't necessarily identify with. And I always think that's fair enough to have these conversations. You know, like I see it a lot when like non-LGBTQ plus actors, you know, go for those roles. And yeah, I kind of I kind of forgot, to be honest, that that is like also a thing sometimes with Jewish actors, because in my mind, when I'm looking at like any film for any kind of Jewish representation, I'll take it where I can get it. Like, it's like if the actor is Jewish and the role is not, I'm like, oh, great, Jew. And like, and if if the character is Jewish, that's kind of enough for me. I kind of, <laughs> I should look further and sometimes I do, but sometimes I'm just like, awesome, what's, <laughs> this will be a laugh. And I, I do think that any people who are concerned about this matter, one film in recent years that kind of put my mind at ease slash proved me wrong if I did want to get cross would be Emma Seligman's Shiver Baby, which stars Rachel Sennett as a Jewish young woman who has to go to a Jewish funeral and like has all of the trademarks of a young Jewish woman, which means being a little bit too clammy, having hair that's a little bit too frizzy and being a little bit too anxious and having a fraught relationship with your mother. Rachel Sennett isn't Jewish and I wouldn't want anyone else to play that role. I think she's amazing. So to to kind of come back to your original question about the debate, bait. I don't really care personally. I think for me, if the character is compelling and makes me really feel for them, because I think so much of like the cultural identity of being Jewish is the neuroses. It is at any given moment, you will complain about something in your body hurting all the time. And like, it's just lots of tiny little details and this kind of pessimism, which you always want to make funny. And it's just like, it's just a laugh when anyone can get it right, whether they have grown up experiencing that. But also I'm aware, you know, describing all of these things that like, they are specific things about being Jewish, but a lot of people can feel that and experience it and live it on a day to day and also find it amusing and entertaining. And I don't know, I feel like with all kind of cultural specificities, some people express them more potently than others. Some people feel more protective over them in certain ways. Like some some Jewish actors yeah, might be pretty chilled out and fine because of other circumstances in their lives that are not their religious background. And other actors might have grown up in very religious circumstances where in which cases those cultural specificities are completely different when you're dealing with like orthodox living situations and when you do go to the synagogue like every week and and you have to live kosher and it all gets very different but um no in in short as a kind of film fan and critic and resident jew i personally don't massively care if the actor is jewish it's nice when they are but if it's films like about jewish characters and things then like that's enough for me yeah, I mean, I mean, Curb Your Enthusiasm is is a show that I absolutely love, and is like so defined by kind of that strong Jewish identity. But I I always find it incredibly sweet that my kind of Sudanese father adores that show because yeah. he just feels that it like is really true to his experience. I mean, he, exactly. Like, he kind of uh, that bit where you're sort of debating who should be giving condolences to who and who's in that hierarchy of stuff. I think some of that actually weirdly does translate to a lot of other different cultures, which can kind of see themselves in that very specific world that Larry David has created. 
Yeah, exactly. Like all of the specificities are things that, you know, I will recognize and check off and I'll be like, oh, yeah, like when I'm hosting dinner, I will always cook for like twice the number of people that turn up. But it's like I know that other cultures do that as well. Like it doesn't make it not Jewish, but, you know, there are things that can translate and that people can empathize with and um, find entertaining or amusing or very sad and pathetic. That's also a very... A very us thing, which I'm, we'll talk plenty about pathetic Jewish men today. What, what a thread. Yeah. My favourite subject. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Moving on to uh, maybe a darker portrayal of, uh, of, of something that we've mostly highlighted the lovely parts about. Like, yay, plenty of food. But yes, Ari Aster's bow is afraid. Join our community of film lovers by becoming a Little White Lies member. We receive exclusive perks and an insider's view into the world of Little White Lies while directly supporting our independent film journalism. Search Little White Lies membership via your search engine and click through to our Steady HQ page for a detailed breakdown of the plans. Now on to the movies. Following the sudden death of his mother, a mild-mannered but anxiety-ridden man confronts his darkest fears as he embarks on an epic Kafka-esque odyssey back home. So, Hannah, I know that you were a big fan of Hereditary and you're a big Wacken Phoenix fan, so I've got to assume you were really excited for this to come out, even though we heard it had a very long runtime. <laughs> yeah, no, um, I've been following this one since it was kind of first announced a few years ago. I think it was announced literally just after Midsummer, so it has been quite a while in the making. And um, there have been a lot of name changes and a lot of logline changes. I think originally it was described as the story of the life of an inventor. But yeah, th- this is where we ended up. And um, I love Joaquin Phoenix. I think he's such an incredibly talented actor. And I think he's constantly pushing himself to do new things in a way that I think some actors maybe don't you know the Tom Cruises of the world who just get very comfortable doing one thing and doing it very well I have to say but you're always watching Tom Cruise where I think McKee Phoenix does disappear in a way that a lot of other actors try to but don't quite get there so yeah I was excited I thought that Ari would be able to get a good performance out of him I think that he's a director who's very fixated on performances like Tony Collette in Hereditary and obviously Florence Pugh in Midsummer. so he does these big, you know, elaborate films, but really they are driven by one kind of standout performance. So I thought it was kind of an interesting match of filmmaker and star. I thought they would probably get each other's kind of awkward sensibilities. And it seemed like a match made in heaven. So I, I was kind of um, disappointed, I guess, by, by the finished result. I think I was hoping to love this and didn't. And that it is always like such a sad feeling as a critic when you've gotten something really hoping that it's is good and it just kind of falls short of the mark. I mean, Ella, for you, I mean, as as kind of people get more and more successful as filmmakers, you know, you do, there is a sense that there's a lot more freedom that they get. Like, you know, nobody's kind of saying no, no one's kind of reining you in in that way. Do you, do you kind of think that works against this, that kind of it should have been more restrained, less less indulgent, I suppose? I'm happy that Ariasta got to make this film that he wanted to make. I, I also, I didn't love it. I also really loved Hereditary. I was a bit less hot on Midsommar, but yeah, was also really excited. Yeah, this film is, is very different, but I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm kind of starting to get to the point where like, 
I sort of feel like I might be the problem with my expectations sometimes because I feel like to use a really, really bad dating analogy, it can't always be like the first two or three months when you're dating. You know, it can't it can't always be the first flush of like the first few dates that are electrifying all the time. It's like, you know, it changes stuff, stuff changes and and people become different and want to do different things. <laughs> I think in the case of Bo's Afraid, it's like Ariasta, he's spoken about this being the film that feels the most him, that he's always wanted to make and all this kind of thing. But I think you inevitably have to build yourself up to get there. You have to have more money, which is not given to many filmmakers for their first films. And like, I think it's nice that you can kind of relax in a way, which I know I feel like I'm speaking more as a kind of like, isn't the film industry interesting as opposed to someone who's just watched the film? But I do think that can help kind of temper things. And I think it can also encourage discovery on other films. It means that, you know, like if you like horror, you don't just have to wait for every Ari Aster film. Do you know what I mean? It's like sort of dismantling the way that we like. If we think about contemporary horror, we'll be like Ari Aster, Jordan Peele, insert third name. And I feel like with this film, Arias is kind of being like, I don't want to be that for you. I don't want to be that for anyone. I just want to make my film and like show you my silly little sense of humor. It might be scary. It might not. There were some stretches of the film that I really loved. I think because it's quite sort of novelistic in its approach, I think all, all of the different chapters are very different. And a lot of the supporting cast who are amazing, like I thought <laughs> Amy Ryan in particular is just, I love her. And like, yes, like, so more Amy Ryan, here. I say. Yeah. But the film moves forward in such a way that it's like you spend time with her and then, you know, it's a straight road down. It's like you're not going to go back to go and see her. And I found that interesting as a viewer to kind of be encouraged to let go of stuff along the way. It's like, okay, you've lived this. Now what's next? And now we are in this different setting. Okay, what's going to happen after this? And just follow it a bit. And I find it quite freeing when I stop trying to understand it. And I really don't mean to sound like pretentious or intellectual with that because I'm trying to say the opposite. It's like I felt quite stupid. And after a while, I was like, this is fine. I'm just I'm just here for a few hours. Who knows what I'll do next? So yeah, different to Hereditary. I felt that it was actually a very simple film. And I think that there have been a lot of people on Twitter kind of saying, like, oh, it's so profound. And I'm like, there's literally... I mean, so, spoilers, so, you know, feel free to skip ahead five seconds if you don't want anything spoiled for you. But there is a penis monster in this film. It's like, wow, I wonder what that could mean. Like, <laughs> I found it very kind of on the nose. And, and there have been a lot of comparisons between this and the work of uh, Charlie Kaufman in that kind of, you know, it's that cerebral, self-reflective, anxious white man confronting his anxious whiteness. And um, for me, I think Kaufman does it in a slightly more subtle way or a slightly less kind of juvenile way. Um, I did find the sense of humour in this film quite like teenage boy, <laughs> um, which is not something I found in Midsummer or Hereditary. I think, yeah, maybe... I, I agree with Ella that it's, it's great he's kind of challenging himself as a director to, you know, kind of really see his vision through. And if that works for people, then I'm, I'm happy for them. But I, I think... I'm always interested in who gets to make their big passion projects. And it does seem to be the people like Ari Aster, who, you know, are kind of edgelord white men, are the ones that get to tell their three and a half hour epic with Joaquin Phoenix. And that's great, but I would also like room for kind of something maybe a little bit less um, penis monstery, maybe. <laughs> for, for me, that kind of like slightly juvenile tone, all elements kind of worked because it, you know this is such about kind of a man child and person in like arrested development that it kind of would make it kind of made sense to me that like 
he's only able to kind of confront things in like this quite childish way, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I guess the problem is like with Joaquin Phoenix, I think he's such an incredible actor. And the thing that I find incredible is within a role, he's able to find different levels. And this to me was only operating at one level and there was no kind of character progression. It was like, Bo is afraid. Bo is afraid. There's just like no kind of, Bo was afraid or Bo maybe, you know, kind of moving past the fear and... I think I found that quite unsatisfying. I mean, not that Ariasa owes me a kind of, you know, a, a resolution or anything. If he wants to make this film, that you know, then that's that's up to him. That's his choice. But um, certainly, I did feel the kind of final act falls a bit flat. Really, I think you're building to this big climax, and for me, it never comes. But I will say that um, Patty Lapone, I think, is is like the, the real MVP of this film, a Broadway legend, and just so unbothered. Like if you read any interview with her, she's just hilarious just totally kind of removed from our reality. And I think she's very funny as um, Bo's abrasive mother, Mona. I think she, she puts in such a such good performance. Is now the time to bring out the Jewish analysis then? Feels like you've teed me up <laughs> quite well here. Um, yeah, go for it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I agree with you about like Joaquin Phoenix's performance is quite one note. I hadn't really thought about it until you said it, but it's like, I kind of like that it feeds in to the same stereotypes that I say and we all say when we're looking at like Jewish men in pop culture. It's like, oh, he's a neurotic man child. Oh, he's so anxious. All he can see is himself. Oh, like that's all it is. And I kind of like that. I was like, oh yeah, this is all there is to him. And it's just like, you know, it's kind of a stereotype, probably kind of true. And then yeah, Patty Vipone as his mum is unreal. And like, I was very lucky to speak to Ari a few weeks ago and I asked about this and I was like, there is a universality to the overbearing mother, as we know, but she can be very specifically Jewish. And uh, something he said, which I really loved, he was like, he was like, it's a very Jewish idea to consider your mother as bigger than God, like for there to be that kind of power involved. And he was saying that, you know, that Mona, he doesn't want her to be like his mother specifically, but he was like, she's not a Jewish mother. She is the Jewish mother. (laughs) I was like, that's, Mm. yeah, because she's, she's, again, she's such a caricature and, you know, a brilliant performance, but very kind of, can be distilled very simply when you look at the traits and like the intensity with which she's performing it's just such a laugh and then yeah the sense of humor i'm interested to see how it plays when people start seeing it purely because i think how welcoming audiences seem to be of the sort of more gross out humor in a24's more recent film everything ever all at once i did kind of think of a few parallel like they're very different films but i think tonally it seems like i'm not saying that you know a film with hot dog fingers won best picture and a24 were like you can have the penis monster but i'm kind of not not (laughs) saying that like you know (laughs) this regression is like it feels like everyone's like, oh, this could be very big. We all want to be silly and rude. Um, so, yeah, we'll be interested to see how that plays. Yeah, it's interesting that there does seem to be a move, particularly, I mean, A24 generally considered to be at like the forefront of of so much of cinema, that there's that move away from self-seriousness in, in a way that maybe that sort of maybe speaks to something larger in terms of what the culture is is maybe up for right now. But um, we should get some scores on this because we've got plenty more young Jews. (laughs) (laughs) We've got plenty more tales to get into. But I just love that insight about the mum because 
you know, like I said, there's overlap culturally. And I think my this is going to really speak to my dad and his relationship yeah, with his mother. Really. I'm fascinated to see what he thinks of this. But um, Ella, do you want to go first? Your scores um, in anticipation, enjoyment and in retrospect. Sure. I think in anticipation, uh, between a four and a five. I think I'm going to say four because I saw the runtime. I also didn't like the name of the film. <laughs> So it kind of tempered my usual like Ari Aster excitement, but still a four. I'd say three for enjoyment because yeah, it was not exactly what I thought it was going to be. Some flat moments, didn't hate it. I might actually go up to a four in retrospect because like the more I've thought on it and like everything we're talking about in terms of, you know, the freedom and letting go of your expectations and the Jewishness and all of it, I'm going to land on a four. And Hannah, what about you? Slight, slightly cooler, maybe? Yeah, I think it's um, four, three, three for me. I, I, I am. I, there are bits of it I think work really well. Um, I think Richard Kind's kind of monologue, um, which oh, I won't spoil, is, so is great. And, and the, there's a wonderful interview with him, I think, on Vulture, where he says that Ariasta tried to get him to come to a meeting, but he'd already had plans to go for a dinner with a, a friend, a very expensive sushi dinner his friend was paying for. And he was like, well, I'm, I'm not, like, not going for dinner. Like, <laughs> and <laughs> you know that friend dinner. is definitely George Clooney, right? <laughs> that is a good point. It probably was George Clooney, yeah. Um, the, the great story about the, the um, litter tray uh, when they were... Um, roommates together um, Google that listeners if you haven't heard that story before but yeah I could have done more Richard Kind would be my, my big takeaway from this yeah well I'm always going to do with more Richard Kind yeah I think I was probably at a four I actually really liked Midsummer. I thought it was just incredibly funny loved Hereditary I've seen a lot of Ariasta's shorts and let's just say not as solid so <laughs> slightly uh tempered expectations three in enjoyment because i did have a sense of like what is this but yeah four in retrospect i'm just kind of very like happy that it exists as yeah. a weird little odyssey into the mind of someone that you know from my perspective kind of earned it it does feel like sitting in on someone's uh, therapy session a bit watching this film yeah and I like that. I like that's that. what happens anytime any Jewish person expresses anything. It's like if we're not tortured and have anxieties to put on the page, we'll just be quiet. Yeah. And maybe I'm doing therapy wrong, but I try and make it very entertaining for my therapist. I like to take her on a journey. But next up, it's Are You There, God? It's me, Margaret. When her family moved from the city to the suburbs, 11-year-old Margaret navigates new friends, feelings, and the beginning of adolescence. But before we get into the film, I got to talk to the great writer, director, actor, Benny Safdie, who plays Margaret's dad, Herb, in the film. Hey. Hi, how are you, though? How's everything going? I'm good. I'm good. I'm just like, um, I'm happy this is finally out there. It was an interesting experience to like to act in something and have this collective experience. And then for the, the time they took to get it out there, all understandable. But just to like to have to now relive and all that stuff is, is it's a nice thing, you know, because it was a good experience. So. You know, I, I mean, it even feels like a very long time for me since I saw the trailer because I remember watching it and being like, wait, you're telling me Judy Bloom. Rachel McAdams, Benny Safdie's. Like, did, like, they go into my mind and, like... Yeah. <laughs> just create That's something. Great. 
a treat just for me. Like it's, <laughs> it's amazing. I imagine it's quite stressful at the moment because I mean, you were like we were all super excited to see that you were going to be teaming up with Adam Sander again. But like these writer strikes, so uh, intense. It's yeah, it's such a crazy situation, you know. That like clearly was a long time coming, but just because like you can't really expect everything to stay the same when everything else is changing around you, you know. So yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I hope you're all okay. Because I mean, like, I guess for you being on every kind of facet of filmmaking, it's like you can actually probably have a very good picture of. Oh yeah, you, you, well, you 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 understand the importance of every single person in the process. You know, it's definitely it's it's an unfortunate situation, but it's like yeah, you have to be fair. You got to stand just because yeah, it's just not it's not a tenable situation. You know, like again, if if everything is changing and then it looks like it's going to stay this way, all right, let's. Let's fix it, you know? Imagine people being compensated fairly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> what a world. <laughs> don't, don't worry, I'm not trying to trap you into some sort of... No, uh, no, no, please. I, there's nothing, <laughs> there's, no, it's, there's no trap because it's so clear. In that sense, you can't really be, be trapped because anybody can look at the situation and be like, yeah, that's not fair. <laughs> you know? Maybe yeah. that's not true. Maybe that's why we're in the situation we're in is somebody's looking at it and saying... Is this fair? And we're like, no, it's not. Darkest timeline, as they say. But yeah, returning to this film, like I yes. am a complete Judy Bloom obsessive. Like there were literally lines of dialogue where I was just like, they've changed the verb in this movie. <laughs> That's and amazing. So I accept it, changing the verb. And I spoke to Kelly about it. So she's justified those to me. Um, That's amazing. What was your relationship to her books like? It's funny because I didn't read them as a kid. And it was only that like I actually started reading them later because at one point, Ronnie Bronstein had suggested, oh, you have two boys. You should read the Fudge series with Tales from a Fourth Grade Nothing because two boys, older brother, little brother, mm-hmm. it, it would make sense. And it was funny while I was reading them to my two sons, Cosmo and Murray, I got such an insight into their point of view and their mentality. So I had actually the opposite experience of a lot of people who read Judy Bloom because they read as a kid, finally hearing somebody say the things that they think and they realize, oh my God, I'm not crazy. Somebody else knows what I'm thinking. I'm reading it from the point of view of an adult trying to get closer to my kids. This is what they're thinking. So it's the same idea, just coming at it from a different point of view, which I think is actually pretty interesting for, for me because it's like I have access to these kind of, to the secret code a little bit, which is amazing. And that's what she did. And She's I, unbelievable. I, I, yeah. I, I you think that she she basically raised 85 million people <laughs> yeah i i don't understand that's kind of when i said to her i said i don't understand how it feels so effortless that it's just like it just feels like that's it that's how it is because she's so in tune with it you know mm-hmm. which is awesome and then kelly was able to translate that feeling and emotion into the movie you know and that's such a huge achievement you know it's insane that that like Whenever you have something like this or a book of this magnitude, it never, ever satisfies anybody. And the fact that this is actually not only satisfying it as an adaptation, but taking a departure and doing new things is awesome. It's taking it and using it as a way to explore new ideas, which is amazing. Yeah, I I do think I was kind of unbearable with Kelly because I was just like, I really like the way that you kind of had the grandparents all being in the scene as opposed to having the book. And she was just like, <laughs> but um, I wanted to ask you about like setting of the 1970s because there's this kind mm-hmm. of like universal nostalgia to it. Um, And I saw your site in some best ever films list. And I think there were yes. four films from the 1970s. So funny. <laughs> okay, so I'm, I'm going to look it up right now. Um, Just because I remember doing one in 2012 it's always funny to see how they change and what your what your favorite movies are in the moment that you're in. 
because yeah. I was very, I'm actually proud of this one. I feel like it's a good. Alice in the City, right. Bicycle Thieves, yes. French Connection, High School, Husbands, a Comedy About Life, Death and Freedom. It's a Wonderful Life. That was a surprise. <laughs> I love it because that's one, of the, that's one of the greatest movies ever made. Really, hands down. I just love because it's so emotional, but it's so complicated. And it gets written off as this holiday movie that, yeah. that that's on there. But the way I look at it is like Abigail's Party. When that aired, it was like one of four channels, right, in the, in the UK. So millions of people watched that movie and were unexpectedly beholden to this incredible work of art. You know, this Abigail's Party is unbelievable. And it just happened to enter the zeitgeist. And it means a certain thing to a lot of people because of that. I think that's kind of what happened with It's a Wonderful Life is because of the, I guess, I think there was like a rights lapse issue. I don't know. I could be wrong about that, but it aired on television during Christmas. And then it just became a tradition and people just took it for granted as that Christmas movie. But it's really deep and really intense. And Jimmy Stewart is out of control. And there's a phone call that he has. That's where I'm like, oh, this this is on a whole other level. It's when he's talking to the guy, the stockholder, who's like, oh, the girl was talking to, to this guy who just moved out of town and wants to give him a job at the factory. And he's having a conversation with this guy, with the girl right next to him. And there's another conversation that's totally unspoken between Jimmy Stewart and that actor, Donna Reed. So yeah, so between the two of them, they're both having another unspoken conversation. And you're just like, wow, this movie is dealing with a lot of complicated emotions and feelings. And it's awesome. So it's like, it's also like there's a beginning, Jimmy Stewart's acting is like, kind of a weird island also you know he's like kind of this like realism amongst all this fantasy which is kind of cool i mean it does kind of feel like looking at kind of the films that you consider your favorite like you've kind of got that like post-war you know that is so kind of captured by it's a wonderful life and then like 1970s is like such a kind of historically interesting moment and that's where yeah. the film is set as well where mm-hmm. it's like Civil rights dream is dying. You know, the anti-war stuff is dying. It's like, I didn't... I, I idealism. Wonder. Idealism takes on a different tone in like the mm-hmm. 70s because there's a there's a, a shift in, oh, we can all make the world a better place to, oh my God, we tried our hardest and it's still problematic, you know? And mm-hmm. look at us now. You know, it's like what we have to deal with is like, it's so insane. And it's just funny when you make a period film you think, oh, okay, I'm going to deal with issues and problems that only existed within that time. But just by the nature of how like the consciousness works, you start dredging up all that stuff and you realize, oh my God, we're still dealing with a lot of this stuff anyway. And it's just a different shape or form. And here it was kind of, for me, it was like the the one thing I remember. And then like, it was like the anti-Semitism of it all. For me, luckily, I was growing up in New York. I was around a lot of people who were Jewish. I never really had that growing up. You know, there were, of course, fleeting things that you had, but it wasn't something that I had to, I was never in this, like, my wife is not Jewish. When I went to marry her, it wasn't an issue at all. You know, so like the fact is like to go to a place and have to make it an issue and understand what those feelings and emotions are was new. And I was like, all right, I got to dive into that and then anti-semitism comes back and result so it's like it's so weird how all of these things just by like touching it sets off a little chain reaction in the uh consciousness of everybody but it's funny because there there are aspects of it that are just like when you take out phones or anything like that what it does to how you deal with things is very different um not that one is better than the other but you kind of have to talk to people a little bit more when there's not a phone around, right? Yeah. It's, I, don't, I don't know what it is about the, the, the 70s in particular. I've got some 50s in there and early 60s. But um, I guess there's, but there's, I think there's, there's the element of realism, I think, 
that for me to join this project, which was so interesting, was nobody had ever asked me to play a father. <laughs> it was like, that's what I am. I'm a father. Yeah. I am a father. Exactly. I am a father. And it's so important to me. I love them. And, you know, and it's like, and I, and me and my wife, we work together to figure out the best things for ourselves and for them. And I have not had the opportunity to explore that, you know, artistically. And here it was amazing to me that Kelly and Jim Brooks looked at me and saw that because not a lot of people look at me and see that. And that was, that was exciting for me. I was like, okay, now I have an opportunity to really go in and try and understand things a little bit better, you know, and put myself in a situation where as a father, I may not understand all the things that my daughter is going through because I have two boys. So I feel like I have the ability just because of how they are right now or whatever. I, I feel like I have an ability to understand certain things that they're going through, or I can relate to them in a certain way on a very base level. But if they felt uncomfortable talking to me about something, I can understand it that way. To go, oh, they feel ashamed of this and they don't want to talk to me about it. That's a devastating place to be as a parent. And Herb is kind of in that position in this movie where he knows his daughter is struggling and dealing with something and she can't talk to him or feels she can't talk to him about it. But all he wants to do is just give her a hug and tell her it's going to be okay. But I think the thing that's really, that was helpful for me is... Rachel's character, she's amazing in the movie. What she's doing as, as the parent is basically like, I've got this. You know, even though she doesn't, she's got her own a whole host of other issues that she's dealing with. She's taking on this problem. And I, as a partner, trust and respect that she's going to be able to do that. And it's all these things that you're kind of pulling from, from your own life. Like your partner is your partner and you have to work together about some things. You may not agree, but you have to understand that somebody's point of view might be more valid in the situation and stuff like that. So. Again, for me, it was exciting to explore these ideas. And then a whole other layer of this, which nobody knew, but when I was talking to Kelly, I'm like, this is weird, is the whole interfaith aspect is something I deal with also. You know, my wife isn't Jewish. And then we have this situation of like, well, what do we do with our kids? Because they'll celebrate Christmas. They'll celebrate Hanukkah. They'll celebrate, we'll do Passover. We'll do Yom Kippur. But they don't really have any dogmatic insistence or force on them. They're kind of coming to whatever they want to do. You know, one day my son said, I want to go to the temple. I'm like, all right. And then he hated it. And I didn't force him back, you know? So it's kind of like I had, I, it was weird how many layers actually lined up. But I, I got to say, I got to yeah. Benny, because I've got a Muslim, Jewish, and Christian heritage. I get <laughs> Christmas, Hanukkah, and Eid. Like, it's That's the best. unbelievable. That's incredible. <laughs> but like, I kind of wanted to ask you about like your own kind of coming of age. This is such, for me, this is like the quintessential coming of age film. Yeah, coming of age. There's, I kind of dealt with it in a different way than, although that's not true. You always kind of think, oh, I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to be with these people, these friends, because this is what you do. And mm -hmm. you feel weird about it. You may not feel comfortable, but a lot of it is just confusing, you know, because as a, as a kid, you don't really think your thoughts and feelings are true, you know, because you're not an adult. So I'm feeling this way, but maybe that's just because I'm stupid, you know, it's kind of where you get to. And it's interesting to to play the father of somebody who's trying to help yourself out, you know, if you look at it that way. What do you wish you had in this situation? Luckily, I was able to have that, you know, like my stepfather was somebody who was didn't quite understand it certain things about me, you know, like about like what I was struggling with, but knew I was struggling and loved me deeply and allowed me the freedom to kind of to know that if I ever had any issues or any problems, he was there with the deepest love and respect. And that alone was so helpful, you know, to like, yeah. to allow somebody that freedom is, is amazing. So in that sense, I was like, okay, so maybe I could take some of that and put that in a situation with the father, you know, that like you don't want to push anybody in any one direction because you don't want to let them you want to let them come to their own realizations and feelings 
but you want to let them know that you'll be okay, you know? And that was something Judy said to me about her father. I remember we were doing something and she mentioned that like her dad may have not understood everything, but when he gave her a hug, everything kind of disappeared. It's, I actually was going to be a physicist. You as a filmmaker, did you have a moment in this kind of period of your life where you realized this was the path you were going to take? Because I think there was a scene that we did where when Margaret went off, I think I didn't give her a hug because mm-hmm. I, in the moment, I, my decision was, oh, she's out. She's like, she's going. She's go-, it was when she was going to um, New York. I kind of wanted to, my point of view of like, okay, the, uh, what I'm going to do is I'm not going to embarrass her. I'm going to let her go on the bus as like a big kid, and I won't do that. But she, I think uh, Judy was like, oh, he would have just given me the hug, and it would actually made me feel even better. You know that I had this, and I was like, oh, that's amazing. So then I took that and I made, it, I went even further with it. You know, so that's a very powerful thing that movies can do or anything that you interact with on the screen that can do is feeling things and identifying with joy or sadness or whatever that isn't yours. You know, you have to go to the screen, not the other way around. And so in that sense, somebody watching this movie can be like, oh, my God, all of this stuff that I'm dealing with that I think is small is actually big enough to be this, you know, this work this work and that's meaningful for people and they'll that's how that's how people look at um or read things or see things and kind of become overwhelmed because they're realizing it's speaking to a deeper part of them you know i mean i i think that was i mean you touched upon it earlier where i think people feel so personally connected to judy bloom's work that it's like you are a little bit kind of like hmm, let me see what this film adaptation is then you see it yeah. and, no it's fine they got it <laughs> yes exactly <laughs> Well, because you have it specifically with an adaptation, you're taking all of those feelings that I just described and you're basically looking at the movie and being like, don't mess up any of those things that were so important to me, you know, because I had feelings reading this book that made me who I am today. And I don't want this movie to do anything to hurt those kind of emotions and memories that you have attached to it. And the fact that not only did it not do that, but it actually bolstered the emotions from the book and then went even further is great. You know, and that's so rare because like it's it's so rare and it's so wonderful to see. Um, I mean, I'm very excited for get my daughter into watching Judy, you know, reading Judy and watching this movie in like a couple of years time. But I'll I kind of leave you with one question. Like, yeah, do you have a sense with your kids that maybe like it might be that you might want them to follow the same path and like see whether maybe being filmmakers might be for them because it's so in your family. And if so, is there like a particular kind of film or something you'd want to show them to be like, does this well, trigger anything? <laughs> well, it's it's funny because I actually don't want them to enter this field in any <laughs> shape or form. You know, I don't know why. I just don't. So I don't want to push them to do anything that they don't like want to do in that sense. But what I will do is I want them to have the experience of watching something or reading something and having a deep response, because I think that helps you no matter what you're doing in life, you know? So in the sense that like I watched ET with my son, it's a big movie for me, but the fact that he was able to have an emotional response to ET coming back to life and saving the day and actually feeling something. We're watching Coco, the Pixar movie. And feeling with deep, heavy emotions. And yeah. I was just, I started hysterically crying. That The movie ended and I'm just like, oh man, this is so intense for me. And I tried to hold it back because I didn't want to expose poor Cosmo to like his dad crying. Like, but then I couldn't hold it back anymore. It was just full on ugly cry. So he, <laughs> he looks at me and he's like, what's wrong? And I'm like, it's okay. I'm just happy. I'm thinking about things. And these are emotions that I'm feeling. And 
but he knew what it was too. So he started crying and then we're crying together. And I'm like, that's a bonding experience, you know, and that's all you can ask for. And that's really what you do it for really is. So in that sense, I just want him to have as deep of a reaction to the things that I've had, because it's, it's just helpful, you know, to be able to think like that and to see other points of view or whatever. So in that sense, it's, that's what I want to give to him. I don't want to push him to do what I do. I just want him to maybe appreciate it in the same way. Oh, well, I mean, if there's a second generation of Safdies giving me the absolute heart attack that happened when I Uncut Gems was the BFI secret film, <laughs> like <laughs> I, I've never known emotions like it. And um, I love your work. And thank um, you so much for your time. I really thank you. It. It's great. Yeah. I, I love Little White Lies. So oh, that's so kind awesome. of you. They'll be yeah. thrilled to hear that. They love you. (laughs) (laughs) It's great. Um, All right. Well, have a great day. You too. Bye. So Ella, I think we've got first things first. Are you a Judy Bloom stan? Because I am obsessed and I need to kind of pitch how normal I'm going to be about my love for this. (laughs) (laughs) I'm really sorry. Do you know what? I feel like I should be a Judy Bloom stan. In my defense, I grew up in France. Like Judy Bloom is not a very... Well, wasn't hugely, wildly popular. That's no excuse. I grew up in Sudan. Okay, fine. Well, I have no, I have no excuse. Whatever. I have no excuse. Um, no, I was not. I was not very familiar with Judy Bloom's work. So yeah, kind of came into this a little bit blind. I mean, I'm a stand now. Is that okay? Can I still be welcomed yeah. into it? You can. We're a very embracing standum. Okay, fantastic. Yeah, I really loved this. I thought it was so delightful. It's just, I love coming of ages uh, all the time have done forever in all of my work but I found it really really interesting and refreshing to having a coming of ager that's like at the start of being a teenager as opposed to the end because I feel like a lot of my favorite films that are coming of ages it's like 17 year old is on the cusp of adulthood and wants to rebel and break free and whatever whereas like to have it on the cusp of becoming a teenager like Margaret is 11 and literally your body changing it's such a different set of anxieties which I feel like there's a lot more genuine like discomfort and almost terror not in the film but like in that experience so I feel like it kind of lends itself to such it's just a really cool like really raw but sweet and vulnerable and kind of fresh way of doing it if that makes sense like the director kelly freeman craig like i loved her first feature the edge of 17 which again like fits into that age bracket you know when you're just ratty (laughs) as a teenager who wants to be an adult and it's just like this film is so nice like margaret is so uncomfortable and she's so confused but she's lovely and she has family who supports her. And even when one of her friends seems mean, she's not actually a mean girl. Like, she's a, she's got her own things going on. And I don't know, it's, I find it hard to describe without making it sound saccharine. But it's like, <laughs> I, I've watched the film twice. And the second time I watched it, I watched it with my boyfriend. And like, I was supposed to watch it on my own and he was around. And I was like, I don't. I don't want to make him watch this, but I kind of have faith that he will like it as well. And he really loved it. Like, it, it was, I don't know, like maybe halfway through the film when there's kind of like a tiny bit of a risk that Margaret might get bullied or like might be under some stress. He was like shouting at the screen as if it was like a football game and he was like rooting for someone to like, you know, not not get hurt by someone else. Um, <laughs> It was so good. And, and I, I, I think that just speaks to like, how universal it is maybe i kind of hate it i kind of hate using that word but it's like 
yeah, there's kind of things that, I mean, everyone's gone through puberty. From the moment you've gone through puberty, I feel like you, it's kind of really hard to not have that protective instinct towards Margaret in this film, which I think comes from like the performances. But yeah, like I think Kelly Freeman Craig is like such an empathetic director. Um, it's lovely. I, I stan. Oh, yeah. No, it is lovely. I, I, I mean, yeah, I adore Judy Bloom. I remember reading this probably in, you know, when I was about the same age as Margaret and just feeling like, oh, this was just written for me. But then I couldn't figure out why their sanitary towels were being hitched onto belts. And I flipped yeah, through and I was just like, oh, this is from the 70s. Um, you know, <laughs> That's wild. But, but even in the 70s, you know, Judy Bloom's an adult writing about, I guess, based on teenage experiences she would have had in the 50s. So, I mean, like, there really is this kind of strange thread about, like, how that particular agony of being 11 endures. I think I was, yeah, I was probably about the same age as Margaret when I had my first period, and it was such an excruciating, like, it's it's funny watching the film because they're all so excited about it, and I was like, that nothing could be worse than getting my first period. And I do like the kind of things when it actually kind of happens, they all react in very kind of different ways. And I think it's nice to see to like contrast with something like eighth grade. I think eighth grade really like captures the kind of horror of being a teenager and how just it, it just existing is embarrassing. Whereas this is, a, I think, a little bit more of a, um, uh, a sweeter, maybe, depiction of how it is. I don't think Margaret feels that way quite as much as um, Kayla does in eighth grade. But certainly, you know, I think it's really nice to get a film that focuses on a parent-child relationship that is really, like, healthy and really sweet. And they talk to each other, they communicate. And I loved uh, Kathy Bates as her grandma, Sylvia. I thought she was so fun, just kind of, like, rocking up into her life and just been so supportive of Margaret. And, yeah, I I just think it's, um, it's absolutely lovely that this film exists for kind of the age range it does I think it's it's a film that I would have loved to have had when I was 10 or 11 and I think there's such a lack out there of good material for that age group I think everything is kind of so um it's either like you know the 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 euphorias of the world which is a little bit older than this or kind of like proper preteen stuff like you know there's there doesn't seem to be anyone doing what um, this film does or, or indeed like what Judy Bloom did now it feels quite novel I think really like we've not moved on since like Jacqueline Wilson and Louise Renison who I read when I was growing up and I still adore and still think like essential texts for preteen and teenage girls but yeah it's just I hope that maybe if this does well Hollywood will kind of start thinking oh are we missing out on like the preteen market maybe we need to stop treating these kids like the kids and actually make things that are kind of intelligent and witty and honest about that experience because imagine i mean imagine if like any jacqueline wilson film was good and i'm saying that with love it's like i loved her books really dearly and watched uh, like what what was, what was the trilogy called like girls in love or something oh yeah. oh yeah yeah and it's like i was obsessed with that but like can you imagine if those films were made with the care of a filmmaker who like actually wanted parents to be able to enjoy the films as well? That is wild. The, the, even the idea of that. But Jackie Wilson was so popular and so good. And, you know, it's like we had the crazy when we were kids. Happened. 
No, it's crazy. Yeah, and it's such a shame because because I feel like now that this film exists, it feels like a no-brainer that they made a good Judy Bloom film, <laughs> like considering, you know, the love for her and everything. But, but then it, it kind of makes you look at all the author's who haven't had that and you know all the people that we grew up with I don't know I always wonder like were there conversations were we ever going to get a good Jacqueline Wilson one is now the time to kind of you know, start campaigning for that again maybe I mean I do I do love the Tracy Beaker series and I actually think like, yeah. a lot of kids still watch that like kind of if they do reruns but yeah I think it's, it's definitely time and also this the, the experience of being a UK teenager is so specific compared to being an American teenager and I think it would be fun to see some kind of young people like I think rocks actually is, is probably the closest we've had in recent years yeah um, yeah yeah, yeah. Some good, like but that's again it's not quite the same age group but uh, and scrapper which is coming out this summer as well I think it's really lovely same age range I think that Margaret and Georgie would be like good mates there's one one final film in the british canon which again we don't know what exactly but there's a film called how to have sex debut feature from the cinematographer who shot scrapper which is set like on a girl's holiday and it's like i know that every listener in the uk will know exactly what i'm talking about but listeners in the us might not it's like you have to go to like a really kind of grimy holiday location with a strip where it's really hot and it's really cheap and you don't really sleep very much and it's like it's normally in spain or turkey or greece Exactly. I went to Tenerife in 2014 and these girls are in Malia. That vibe. Um, So I'm excited to see how that fits into the canon. But like, yeah, (laughs) it's definitely not the Judy Bloom equivalent. But like, yeah, we clearly need more in the UK because there's something there's something missing here. I mean, for me, it's just nice to kind of see something. I mean, it's something that's so true to almost all of like Judy Bloom's novel, but I think is like really translates well into the film of just like, we're not making this cartoonish. We're not making this like too lightweight. This is like the genuine pain and struggles of a young person. And that is like worth taking seriously on every level. I mean, even just in the way it's shot, I think it's like also a really gorgeous film. Like, yeah, it really is. Yeah, it makes New Jersey look great. Yeah, that's true. Maybe that's a little unfair. (laughs) (laughs) The glory of suburban New Jersey. (laughs) I'm going to do my final, very brief Jewish analysis on this one. Because we should talk very ever so briefly about how religion is portrayed in this because it's very interesting. And like Margaret is trying to find her faith. Like her dad, Benny Safdie, is Jewish, which she is in real life. Rachel McAdams, her mom, is Christian. But yeah, but I think the film is really, really good at showing Margaret like wondering what all of these things mean, like wondering whether she's Jewish or wondering whether she's Christian and how that even manifests. And like the idea of wanting faith to mean something that can serve you as a teenager desperate to find things that serve you and then and then not being sure if if that's possible or what that or what faith even means or anything um i found all that very interesting and like you know it's i mean it's nice when um when margaret goes to temple with her grandma kathy bates who is not jewish but again i didn't really mind that because i think it's it's not like at the forefront of the film it's not all about that and I kind of like that because so much of the time for me I found that like your religious identity as much as I yell about it all the time it's like it's not at the forefront of like everything and everyone that you are particularly when you're a teenager as well it's just like (laughs) you know it can be something that's like hmm, maybe I can use this to my advantage but maybe it means nothing right now and maybe it will one day and I liked just you know naming things and having the option and possibility of stuff there but it kind of still being in flux and being, I don't know, respectful and a little bit like observant from a distance for now. So what I'm saying is it's not the most Jewish film in the world and that's fine. 
And with that in mind, what are your scores, Ella? Oh, do you know what? I'm really going to be telling on myself here. I think anticipation would be like two because like I didn't, uh, the, uh, the title seemed very long to me. <laughs> and and I, was, I don't know, I wasn't too sure. And I was like, this could be a little bit tacky, to be honest, from what I'd seen. Um, I was so wrong. And then, so enjoyment is four. And in retrospect, it's four. Like, it's just a delight. And it's also really solid and intelligent and well acted. Yeah, it's great. Two, four, four. Hannah, what about you? You also newly converted member of the Judy Bloom Stan group. <laughs> um, I think it's a three, four, three for me. Maybe, I, yeah. I, my only kind of reservation is it's it did feel a little bit dated, which you know is from the seventies, and it they kind of keep that period setting. But it did, yeah, I did kind of think like a lot of this is relevant now, but then obviously like some of it is just so far removed from like what kids are dealing with nowadays. It is a very universal story in a lot of ways, but then also like, yeah, you know, I think kids are a lot more vicious today. Maybe that's just like my boomer, inner boomer creep, creeping out. But yeah, I, I don't know. I, I felt maybe it might not be as kind of relevant to what kids are experiencing. But, you know, I, the, with that said, I think it's a very sweet film and I hope that lots of parents watch it to kind of understand their kids a bit better and I hope that lots of kids watch it to kind of understand that they're not alone out there. And, um, yeah, I think there's such kind of sweetness at the heart of this film. It's a film I can't imagine anyone, like, actively disliking because it's just so kind of pure and sweet and, yeah, it doesn't outstay its welcome. I, yeah, I think it's... It's a very fun film. I think if you're going to see one new release this week, definitely go and see this one. Yeah, fours across the board for me. It's it's such a precious title to me. So I mean, like you've always got to have that minus one for being nervous that they're going to like really mess it up. But yeah, I thought it was absolutely lovely, and I kind of wish that I had had this when I when I was eleven. But still, very grateful to have had the books. Next up, we're going to be hearing from Hannah and David, who are at the Cannes Film Festival as we speak. And they're going to be telling us about all of the highlights and exciting things that are happening on the Quasar. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello. 
Hey, it's uh, David here. I'm in the Palais de Festival on the Croisette in Cannes, France, celebrating the uh, film festival here. What number is the film festival we're at at the moment? 76. Uh, that's my colleague Hannah speaking. It's uh, it's a sunny day. It's always mild. It's uh, muggy. It's muggy. Uh, it was rainy yesterday, but we've got a bit of uh, a bit of heat today. I'm about to go and see a film by Wang Bing in five minutes, three and a half hour film by Wang Bing. And uh, we thought we'd send a little voice note from Cannes, just letting you know what we've been up to so far. Hannah, maybe you could tell us what we've just seen. Yeah, we have just seen The Sweet East, which is the directorial debut or the solo directorial <laughs> debut of uh, Sean Price Williams, who's best known as a cinematographer. He's worked with Safdie Brothers, Alex Ross Perry and Erin Klein and stars Talia Ryder, who some may know from Eliza Hitman's Never Rarely, Sometimes Always. And it's kind of a on-the-road meets TikTok-style uh, zany road trip movie. And a provocation. A pro- well, yeah, a provocation. I didn't find it that provoking. No. <laughs> um, I think it thinks it's provoking. But it was very good. I think we were both fans. Yeah, no, it's a really fun film. And like I think a, a, a real tonic for a film festival like this to have something that is mixing literary references, cinephile references... And like trash culture and trauma and Pizzagate and all these kind of uh, really kind of, uh, you know, the, the sort of Z grade American subculture all mixed together in this kind of strange, lurid, picaresque. And, and I, I actually could have w- ca- carried on watching, frankly. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm very taken with depictions of American flotsam and jetsam <laughs> and um, it's got these a really kind of eclectic cast of I would say like um, so hot right now talent from uh, Simon Rex to Jeremy O'Harris and Jacob Elordi from Euphoria and it just really worked for me I kind of went in quite sceptical but uh, I actually found it very funny very well written by Nick Pinkerton who has written for Little White Lies in the past a critic turned screenwriter and yeah I, I actually ended up liking it a lot more than I thought I would so the other films we've seen so far um, I, one of the films I saw yesterday was uh, Monster by Hirokazu Koreeda which is a kind of strange film you can read Charles Bromesco's full review up on our site at the moment and I kind of concur with him that it's probably not the filmmaker's one of his like best or most interesting works it's a kind of like weird meditation on bullying that depicts a kind of an incident from three different perspectives. So it's kind of, yeah, you said it yesterday, it was like a kind of Rashomon type, yeah. type setup where we were trying to get to the, 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 the sort of root of this of, of, of these, these, these characters who are behaving very strangely to one another. And you kind of, the, the, when you finally see from all the different perspectives, you, find if, you finally find out why. But it's, it's kind of one of these films where you kind of cotton on to what's actually happening quite early. And it maybe when you're having to see that story play out for a third time, it's a bit like, well, we kind of know. So that one didn't really light my fire. But you also saw the new short by Pedro Almodovar. I did. I saw Strange Way of Life, which has been maybe the hottest ticket at the festival. So far um we'll see what happens on saturday with kills of the flower moon and who gets shut out of that but um yeah it's the new short film that pedro has made with san laran starring ethan Hawke and pedro pascal as former lovers who are now on opposite sides of the law and reunite after 25 years for a showdown and i yeah i really liked it my only complaint is that it was too short which i guess with a short film is often a complaint <laughs> i could have lived in that world a lot longer 
he could have easily made a, 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 a feature out of that. Even just telling the same story, you know, he he packs a lot into thirty minutes, and it's all, it's packed full of like references to the real kind of glossy westerns like Johnny Guitar and um, Jewel in the Sun and all that kind of stuff. But also has his sort of beloved melodrama vibes to it as well, uh, where you have these kind of two two old old gunslingers finally kind of you know. Having a having a bit of getting to have a bit of a heart to heart, but um, yeah, that's that's definitely one of the highlights so it's far. Very sweet um, and um, has a kind of lovely um, opening scene with a Spanish singer Manu Rios kind of uh, singing, which I learned via half of. Uh, Half Ourselves Ross, one of our writers, is a real like popular Brazilian song, and that's where the film takes its title from. Ah. So, yeah, that's nice to learn. So, final thing, what are you off to see next then? Um, I don't have anything until tomorrow now, and I have completely lost track of the day, so I'm not even sure what I am seeing tomorrow. Indiana Jones? Indiana Jones at 8.30 in the morning. Yes, I'm sure I will be in just the right frame of mind to watch that. So <laughs> next week's podcast is going to be a full, full-on full can experience, so we'll give you much more and much more coherent than, than this. But that, that was just a little postcard from Cannes, so uh, see you next week. Bye. Bye. Next up, Film Club. Daniel Miller dies after being hit by a bus. Then he discovers that in the afterlife, he must defend his actions on Earth in order to ascend a higher plane of existence. While awaiting judgment, he falls in love with Julia, but Daniel's actions in his lifetime might not be enough for him to move on. So, Ella, this your first time coming to Defending Your Life? Yes, it was. And I will be honest, I didn't watch it for this podcast specifically, but I watched it very recently because um, I watched it over Passover. I've really become a cliche of myself here. And yeah, I loved it. It was so good. Again, my boyfriend, who is not Jewish, uh, it was his pick because he is a huge Albert Brooks fan, which again, I think is telling in terms of everything we've been saying. It's like you know it's not specific to being Jewish but this is a very Jewish film and it's so entertaining and I don't know I I think all of like I think it could have been made today I want to argue I think a lot of like the comedy and dialogue feels like really really fresh and just very very zany and without being irritating and I don't know for me the biggest revelation was like Meryl Streep being like a supporting character and being funny I was like this feels like it should be a sketch like this doesn't happen and and I thought you know maybe she'd like snap out of it and it would be like a dream that she's like into him and because Albert Brooks is like the like anxious frizzy haired balding Jewish man to end all anxious <laughs> frizzy haired balding Jewish men to like that's it he is he is the one and yeah so to have like Meryl Streep like desperate to be with him is amazing and like and she she fully commits on it it's like you never doubt her at any point which I just really loved and like it's so heartening that there was a time where she did do this and it gives me hope that she will be in another comedy again and like and she's great as a supporting you know all i'm doing is talking about her like the show's she's great um yeah i really liked this film it was great i mean i believe this was your pick for film club i mean do you kind of i assume it's because it has parallels with Bo is afraid but yeah certainly the third act of Bo is afraid it was my first time watching it it's been on my two watch pile forever because i love broadcast news um and i love albert brooks so i was kind of like gotta get around to it and then i finally i like to give myself an excuse to watch things with film club so um yeah and i was um 
delighted by it. I think it reminds me a lot of something like Evan Almighty, which as a kid really like blew my mind. Um, I'm always I'm really into films about the afterlife and like what happens after death. And this is such a kind of like matter of fact bureaucratic take on it that I just found really kind of like up my alley and very funny and yeah the kind of little details like the fact that when Daniel dies he's kind of like taken to this like motel room in the sky and when he meets uh, Julia she's staying in this amazing like hotel with caviar on tap because she led such a kind of amazing life and yeah it's just it's just super charming and it's sad we don't get as many kind of rom-coms like this anymore that are really inventive and really like the chemistry is there but they also have people like Rip Torn is kind of a supporting character and there's just like having the time of his life being like uh, this kind of like Troy McClure-esque lawyer trying to <laughs> trying to convince everyone that Daniel's ready to ascend to the next plane of existence but yeah no it's just just a delightful film really easy watch incredibly charming and I think more directors should take notes from um, Defending Your Life um yeah i mean just to hannah's point in terms of like there needs to be more rom-coms like this absolutely because like it's such easy viewing and it's such a delight but the script is so good it's like it's not easy because it's like super basic and dumbed down or anything it's like it's it's kind of having a script that's so intelligent and very thoughtful about the afterlife and everything but also making it really funny it's all it like it's always the the easiest films are the ones that like the most deceptively complex. I can't imagine how many drafts you go through to make something like this. And it's like, it's hard to do comedy. I mean, again, it's like we've seen with Bo's Afraid. It's like, doesn't always land. So it's just like, it really feels like a kind of unsung blueprint for being clever and anxious, but making something very funny and entertaining and easy and letting Meryl Streep be funny. Yeah, yeah. I feel like that's my review of you as a human, just kind of like (laughs) clever and funny and anxious in only the most delightful ways, Ella. That's, oh my gosh, what a great review. Can we like broadcast this episode like wider than usual or? um, Yeah, I mean, like if if you end up with a poster, (laughs) put that on the poster, I'm willing to be quoted. Oh, please. That's very kind. Uh, No, that's, uh, how could I end on anything else? And maybe we should kind of wrap up with a final thing on defending your life. I mean, like, where do you feel that the kind of this succeeded in the way where you were kind of left disappointed by Bo is Afraid? I think it's the resolution um, that you get in this film. You know, we're seeing all of Daniel's life play out and kind of thinking, oh, is he going to win or lose the case for him to go on to the next plane of existence? Um And we get some character development. You know, he's changed by the encounters he has in the afterlife with Julia, but with kind of other people that he meets. And um, I just didn't really feel like Bo went on a proper journey. He he was on a physical journey, but not a psychological journey, is what I would say about that film. But I know that Defending Your Life did inspire uh, Ari Aster because he programmed it as part of, like, his series, I think, at Film Lincoln, um, Film Lincoln Centre in New York when the film came out. So he's definitely taking some ideas from it. And I think this idea of being judged at the end of your life, you can, I think that's why I was kind of so not really disappointed, I guess just underwhelmed by Bo's Afraid because I didn't feel like I was getting that kind of finality from the film that I wanted. But Defend Your Life, I mean, it, 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 this, I, I probably wouldn't have watched this film now if it hadn't been for Bo's Afraid. So at least like, Ari's given me that much. I mean, more Albert Brooks in the world. I mean, I, I always, you know, when the, there's kind of been a bit of a thing on Twitter recently where you kind of show the range of people and it's like almost what could be better than this and then who he plays is, is it in Drive. Where he has oh one God, of the most yes. 
and the man can do it all. Albert Brooks, I think, is like one of our most underrated actors. And also there's a weird connection to um, Are You There, God, It's Me, Margaret, because that film was made by Gracie Films, which is James L. Brooks' production company. And James L. Brooks, of course, did Broadcast News and The Simpsons. And Albert Brooks was on The Simpsons twice. He played Hank Scorpio uh, in the iconic episode. And he also played the villain in The Simpsons movie. So we've managed to connect all three together today very nicely. <laughs> oh, my God, I'd forgotten about Hank Scorpio. Hank oh, Scorpio. That's a revisit that's <laughs> happening this evening. <laughs> But uh, before we wrap up, we've got our kind of way to end the podcast. Anna, do you want to give us one non-movie recommendation for listeners? I'm going to recommend the show Jury Duty, which is on Freebie, uh, which is an Amazon Prime Freeview channel. It's very weird. If you go on Amazon, look it up. It is there. Which is a mockumentary about um, a man who is selected for jury duty or applies to do jury duty thinking he's just applying to be on a documentary about the legal system in America. But in actuality, he is the only genuine person there and everyone else is an actor, including James Marsden playing a slightly fictionalized version himself. And when I heard about this, it sounded very much like Nathan Fielder's The Rehearsal. So I was a little bit kind of anxious that it was gonna something was gonna end terribly. But actually, this is like the chaotic good version of Nathan Fielder, I think. It's just it is like six episodes, all half an hour, and it's just this guy. Ronald, who is like the like a saint among us, just being put in these kind of not like perilous situations, but kind of lightly absurd situations with these people that he all thinks are genuine uh, jurors, and it's just so funny. And he seems like an angel. And I was really into the final episode where they kind of they reveal what's happened and they go behind the scenes and kind of explain how they did everything because I just found that really interesting. The idea of making this show on the fly and having to react to what he was doing so he didn't kind of uncover it all but yeah I think like there's a lot of questions around this kind of tv making and the ethics around it but actually I think this is an example of how you can do it in a kind of um a way that's not going to traumatize anyone for the rest of their life and certainly Ronald seems quite happy with it he's always like it posting on his Instagram like all the photos from them on set and like his new bromance with uh, James Marsden so yeah it I think it's very um, a very wholesome show despite the kind of slightly worrying premise I was I was really taken with it um that, that reminds me of a show I watched ages and ages ago did you ever watch the Joe Schmoes show I did not know <laughs> basically that was it's a really fun one. I don't even know if it's kind of available on any um streaming platform but that was the first time I became aware of Kristen Wiig but they basically got this very normal guy told him that he was on kind of like a com- competition style reality show and everybody else in it is actually a seasoned comedy improviser, including Kristen <laughs> Wiig. And they're just trying to make everything like as And it's really funny and it's really sweet, but also similarly with that one where you end up just feeling that the guy at the center is just the loveliest person. <laughs> so it becomes like weirdly heartwarming to see how kind he is to kind of Kristen Wiig pretending to like freak out and pump a doll and... That's what got me about this, yeah. Ronald just reacts to all the kind of weirdness with such, like, sweetness and wholesomeness. And there's a a lovely moment, which has been on Twitter a lot, but um, there's a a character who's kind of this, like, awkward, like, he invents things. Like, he's always making these weird gadgets to solve problems that don't really exist. And um, there's a really... Their roommates staying in this motel together whilst they're doing jury duty. So they've got to be sequestered away from the public. And there's a lovely moment where Ronald is talking to his video diary and he's, he says... I, I 
made Todd watch A Bug's Life last night so he could understand that it's okay to be different. And I was like, oh my God, this guy is the most wholesome person in the world. So yeah, it's, it's just, I think like um, a real testament to like the, the format, but also just it makes you kind of believe in humans as decent people. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, lovely now. I, yeah, I mean, recommendation accepted. That's what I'm doing tonight. So if you've got thoughts on these films, you can email truththemovies at tcolondon.com or tweet us at LWLies. Next week, I won't be around because the Little White Lies team will be reporting directly from the Cannes Film Festival about all the amazing things that they are seeing and the joy that they are having on the Quasette, sipping rosé and maybe rubbing shoulders with Martin Scorsese. We, we can only hope. Thank you very much for tuning in. And if you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Truth and Movies is hosted by me, Leila Latif, and my guests this week were Hannah Strong and Ella Kemp. The podcast is produced by TCO London and edited by Bob Stankers. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.